0: Welcome to The Conversation. This is Christy. And hi, I'm Gretchen. This is Conversations to Connect. You're listening to episode 27, where we will be getting real about anxiety. Which, sidebar, is my absolute favorite topic to talk about? I I think it was my own experience of anxiety, I know it was, that led me to kind of trying to learn as much as I possibly could about the brain. Yeah. And the more that I learned about the brain, it made so much sense that... That's kind of what led me in the direction of doing the yoga and the meditation and I just feel like it's it's such um, there's a lot of misconceptions about anxiety.
1: There's tons of misconceptions mm-hmm. about it. I, it's one of the things too that I find fascinating, I think, again because of the brain connection mm-hmm. and I'm a big science nerd about that kind of stuff, but also just because like you said, my own experience of anxiety and wanting and understanding it better and then being able to know, how to deal with it, Mm -hmm. how to control it, how to get on top of it, which is so important and that so many people struggle with because we feel like we're just anxious and we just have to Mm -hmm. put up with it, that this is just how life is and we can't be any other way.
0: And I think if people are going the medical route to kind of try to get answers about that, there's so much medication that's pushed on people. Um, I know that that was my experience. And so it was like, we'll try this, we'll try that, like... Genetics are a factor. And yes, like biological, totally. Genetical factors can be at play. But I think that people sometimes see that as something outside of their control. Like, Mm. oh, it's just that way. So I'm just always going to be this way and there's nothing I can do about it. And this sense of like the small things we can do. I I mean, breath work is just so So, simple. And it's like, um, I think that maybe that should work, but it sounds too easy. It sounds too Mm -hmm. easy.
1: The point that you made about it being maybe the genetic factors and that kind of thing. Like It's always been like this. You also probably have people in your family that are like this because there is a genetic component. There's also an environmental component. So it is both nature and nurture. And so if you've grown up with caretakers or people in your family, siblings who are anxious or tend to be more anxious or worried worried. people, Mm -hmm. then you're going to also feel that way. This is just normal. Mm -hmm. This is part of life you know, nobody else is doing anything different. We're not talking maybe about doing anything Mm -hmm. differently. So this is just how things are. And I think that that's important to realize is if you grew up in an environment where you weren't taught or like anxiety wasn't talked about, or maybe just again, emotions or mental health in general wasn't talked about, then this isn't stuff that you're going to know. And it's going to feel very strange maybe to be like, but like Christy said, this is so hard to struggle with that How could something so simple help me? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. seems like it needs to be more complicated, maybe. Definitely.
0: And I definitely also think that if we look at our society as a whole, how many more people are struggling with anxiety oh, and yes. depression than maybe were in the past? I know older people that I work with say, you know, in school, there was always Johnny and he was the warrior, or he was the a nervous little bit, one, or yeah. like
1: Nervous Nelly, right? I mean, that's why we came up with these names.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And then To look at what we're dealing with in today's society, yes, our problems are much different, but we like to think of them as more complex. Like, I'm Mm. very excited to live in this era. era. I love the technology and the good that it does. But the flip side of that is people are becoming more isolated. Mm. They're overworked. (laughs) they're overextended yeah it's like we have all of these things that we can be doing and our brain is just not set up to process all of that yeah so learning to work with rather than against your thoughts in your brain because it feels so external Mm -hmm. i know for myself in the past and with clients that i work with it's just like this is never going to go away and i'm just constantly gonna be triggered by certain things and you might be i mean Mm -hmm. there are people that have these anxious reactions for other reasons but and that's why there's all different kinds of we'll get into anxiety disorders probably at a later date this is like just about anxiety but it can manifest itself in different ways where you know somebody might be worried about their food being contaminated or somebody Mm -hmm. might be worried in a ruminating obsessive way rather than just like your typical everyday worries If that makes sense yeah yeah, so I think that knowing that your anxiety is a tool to let you know that something's off. Yeah. Where in your life is there balance, like a balance issue? Are you working too much? Are you overextended with family activities? Um, what are you doing with your very basic self-care?
1: And probably I, all of the above.
0: Yeah, well, and I tell people, <laughs> check in with that first. Yeah. When you're starting to you know notice yourself ruminating and you're worrying about things, think, hmm, what's my diet been like lately?
1: Mm.
0: How much movement am I getting? What are the things that I can do right now to kind of get some space? Because here's the thing, our brains are made for thinking. And so if you're not just a basic example, say you're working on your math problems mm-hmm. You're in school. So your brain's doing what it's supposed to be doing and it's busy. When your brain isn't busy, we were talking earlier today, the three things that I tell people are our defaults, which they are, is what's wrong with me? what do other people think about me and what do I think about other people? Like, Oh, this person did this. And I'm yeah. so st- it's just this creation of a narrative that's happening in our head and none of it is
1: actually true. So does that mean like you're crazy? No, no, <laughs> not at all. No, you're. Completely- it means you're absolutely normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really important to understand what like Christy had started to talk about that. Like this is a normal emotion, mm-hmm. anxiety, the emotion, anxiety, which is different than the diagnosis, like Mm -hmm. a clinical diagnosis of a generalized anxiety disorder, or like Christy said, one of the multitude of other anxiety disorders, those are very different. So it's good to distinguish between I'm feeling anxious versus I I struggle with my anxiety disorder or I have an anxiety disorder. They're very different. We're gonna clarify some of that today in the podcast. But oh, we
0: should definitely do that.
1: We will. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to understand initially kind of why Why do we have this emotion? What purpose does it serve us in a way that it can be beneficial? I think a lot of people are like, oh, I hate anxiety. I just wish it would go away. Mm-hmm. And like Christy said, nowadays, I think we don't necessarily feel the same anxiety in the ways that we did many 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 years ago so our challenges are
0: different the challenges are different and they're more I I would say they're kind of like next level now because we have these tools that bring us into other people's worlds a lot easier and it's a lot
1: easier to have comparisons when you're doing that but Mm -hmm. I think that's so important to say I mean the fact that you're saying that, because I agree with you. They are big and next level stressors and worries, but unfortunately the majority of people don't think that. Right? They're like, well, what? If this isn't like someone is hunting me down and trying to kill me. But why your body thinks so. But your mm-hmm. body thinks mm-hmm. so. Like, Why am I so anxious about things? So right. in order to really understand that, we kind of have to understand how the brain works and how our body protects itself in terms of <laughs> fight or flight. Our body is made to sustain itself and keep itself alive. That is Mm -hmm. the goal of the brainstem in your brain. It is to keep your heart beating, keep your blood pumping, your oxygen coming in and lungs breathing, all of that kind of stuff. And being a visual person that I know you are, I am as well. I just picture this like,
0: okay, so you have the skeletal system and then the muscular systems on top of that. Yes. And all of the nerve endings are in there. So this is also why overload of some of these emotions like anxiety or depression or things can manifest themselves in your physical body, which we'll get to later. But just picture this, like all these tiny little Everything is connected. Mm -hmm. Everything Mm -hmm. is connected. And it's all controlled by our brain. Sure. So if you're in a building and an alarm goes off and you smell smoke, all of a sudden this sympathetic nervous system is triggered triggered. And so it's saying, "Hey, fight, flight or freeze.
1: What's mm-hmm. going to save you?" What which are you going to exactly do? Exactly what you were saying. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that brainstem response which is there is danger. Mm-hmm. And so earlier 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 on in the world, we had different kinds of problems that our bodies needed to adjust to right so Mm -hmm. like we were living in the woods or we were living in times where there were actual serious concerns like there's a bear and we have to save our lives we have to react in a way to protect ourselves and that's just not the same as it is today Mm -hmm. you know and animals as well they have the same kind of responses, right? If we're talking about, like, bears and stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, they get Like, the same reaction. Right. They get the sympathetic response, and then they... I like the squirrel analogy. The squirrel runs up the tree. So that's, like, the flight. Right. So either you're running away from a problem, or you're... fighting a problem, which also includes conflict. Mm -hmm. So people might be like, oh, fight, flight, or freeze. I don't use that in my daily life.
1: Um, Well, you do. But you might. Yeah. Or freezing, because it's like, what's the one... There are many animals that will just drop and play dead. Mm -hmm. That's the freeze response, which is, just stay here, don't move, protect myself. And I'm not going to do anything. Right. Mm -hmm. The difference between animals and humans is we have a much more complex brain than animals do. So... And we can
0: talk to each other. You know, we feed off of the people that are around us, so so if you stop and think about like the five or six people that you're closest with and that you spend most of your time with are they dealing with their issues or their, you know, daily problems in a healthy way or not a healthy way. So, I think that it's important to take notice of not only your diet of what you're consuming, but like the media of what you're consuming, yes. um, who you're spending your time with, what you're doing in your free time. Are you giving yourself free time? Those yeah. are important too. Well,
1: not just like are they dealing with their problems or not because they might still be dealing with their problems, but then are they sharing their problems with you? Like, hey, yeah. I'm struggling with this. I know that, that happens for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. it happens for me in the therapy office. I'm here. I'm listening to people talk about the struggles that they're going through. And sometimes stuff that people brings up, it brings up stuff for me too. Mm -hmm. My own stuff.
0: Well, and it's going back to something that we mentioned earlier in the podcast is what's the narrative that's happening in your head? And is that narrative true? Like, have you checked in with the other situation or the other person to see if what you're, you know, gathering from a situation is even a fact? Because, there are so many times in the therapy office, I, I love this example, like you're kind of upset with somebody and, well, there's a YouTube video about it um, where two guys are texting back and forth and the one guy's really pissed off oh. and the other guy's just like, oh, great, cool, come over. And the other guy's like, blah, 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 <laughs> whatever. So you're upset about something. So in a maybe a passive aggressive way, you shoot a text like, oh, thanks for this or whatever, and then you see that dot, dot, dot of the other person responding, and it's still dot, 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 and then you're already in your head. Like, I
1: know so many people... What are they saying? What's going to... Yeah. Right. Or then the dot, dot, dot goes away, (laughs) and you're like, oh, no. I know. Yeah,
0: so take notice to these things, and, you know, really ground yourself in what is happening right here, right now, in this moment. What do I have the evidence that this is true, and what can I do about it? If you have a fear or an anxiety about cars or driving or a car accident. If you are in a car accident, that is the fight, flight, freeze. What response, do I need to do yeah. right now to protect myself? But worrying about it beforehand isn't going to tell you what you're going to do in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're, we're spending a lot of time and energy on things that don't really matter. Yeah. And so that time and energy is literally being taken away from what you're doing in that, in the present moment, which is why a lot of people with anxiety have a
1: difficult time concentrating. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where I think that difference really exhibits the difference between humans and animals is like what you said is You might have that car accident. Something might happen to the animal. We react in the same way in that moment with that fight or flight Mm -hmm. response, but it's the after part that's different. Animals then go, it's over. I've recovered. I move on because they don't have the complex brain that we do and the front part of our brain that where all of that Mm -hmm. thinking and that rumination and the emotional part of our brain. They also, a lot of animals don't have that emotional part of our brain, so they don't then associate and attach certain types of, like, fear, yes, but then nothing beyond that, you know? Yeah, and like you said,
0: the after effect, but also, like, the before effect, too. Mm-hmm. So when I'm working with people, it's like, are you, you might tend to be either a forward thinker or a backward thinker, or both. Yeah. Like, some people are, you know, replaying situations in their head, conversations that they had, things that they wish they would have said to their boss, or... Things that have already happened in in the past and also future. So I think that I, in the past, was more of a future because I use the example of when I first found myself to be like present in the moment, I was driving and I wasn't thinking about where I was going and what was going to happen once I got there, yeah. if that makes sense. This sort of pre-planning your life in order to, it's a protection too, mm-hmm. of if I know what to expect, then... I'll be good. And again, that goes back to the brain thinking of like, what's wrong with me? Or what, you know, what are other people thinking about right. me? This whole preparing for...
1: Avoiding I, the worst. I, yes. And it feels like theatrical almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's well, that movie we, that we're creating. When we mm-hmm. talk about it, it does seem that way. But in our heads, it doesn't seem that right. way. Because... Right. So we talked about that brain stem, which is the fight or flight response, but then on top of that is our emotional brain, mm-hmm. where all of this manifests. Right. It, You know, so... And then when, how does it come out physically? Well, absolutely. Right. It comes out in the way, the decisions that we make, the mm-hmm. way that we interact with other people, the way that we talk, the way that we don't talk. Right. So Sometimes it's not panic just... panic attacks. Right. Sometimes,
0: you know, people can have a lot of muscle tension mm-hmm. or,
1: you know, where are you holding it in your body? Mm-hmm. It can come out in a lot of different ways. So... Yeah understanding that that fight or flight response is very normal. But what can happen a lot of times is once we have it, and like Christy said, we then start to kind of generalize it. So like maybe I was in a car accident, and now that has then generalized to any time I'm in a car. And then, but if I'm driving, I'm okay. And then it generalizes to even if I'm driving, I have this anxiety or these panics Mm -hmm. or things like that. And so the generalization and how it keeps then being really pervasive into all aspects of our life is what we do have control over. And that's because the emotional brain that we have is like, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Let me show you 728 ways that you haven't (laughs) thought about it yet and why you should worry about it. Right. And what you're
0: you're not dealing with is the things that you don't have control over. You know, like there are so many things in life, you know, people, circumstances that we don't have control over, but we want to say like, this is the reality, but I don't accept that. I want to change it in some way. And that creates a lot of worry and um, anxiety and leads to sometimes depression too. So, Mm Take, take a moment to think about all of the situations that you're involved with right now. And is there something that's occurring that you're trying to deny? Because that's another good place to start when you're thinking about, like, am I taking good care of myself? Okay. Yes, maybe. Okay. Then situationally,
1: right. what's how happening? How am I dealing with other how people? And mm-hmm. how is that affecting me? Yeah. Absolutely. The last part of the brain that we can talk about, and then we can move on from it, that is important, is our prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. Your brain... Stem and the core of it. You have the emotional brain over top of that and then you have your prefrontal cortex which is the front part of your brain where logic and reason and ration and decision making all of that uh, lands there, and that's the mm-hmm. part of the brain that we have. We, you know, apes and monkeys have, but the majority of other animals do not have that part of the brain. So this is the part of the brain that will save you mm-hmm. from your anxiety. And this is where, as we talk for the rest of this podcast and future podcasts about anxiety, this is the part of the brain that we're going to keep referring back to that you need to use in order to get control over your anxiety and how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So the prefrontal cortex allows us to understand and make sense of what we're experiencing. It's also where our language centers are stored. So one of the things that I tell people all the time I do for myself and I tell people that I work with is as you're doing this work, you need to be either writing or talking out loud to yourself about this stuff or to other people, right? It's one of the reasons why talk therapy is so effective because the emotional brain creates all of this Mm -hmm. noise, right it's like in yoga we call it the monkey brain bouncing all over the place and they're coming up and they're throwing all of this anxiety at you it's also the reason why most people sit down to meditate and think that there's something wrong with them
0: like they're i have way too many thoughts there's no way i can get my brain to be quiet to and that is a misconception too no we're looking to control and manage
1: our thoughts not to get rid of them so using the front part of your brain in the prefrontal cortex is really going to help us to be able to manage any of the anxiety that we're having by talking about it and making sense of it in that way. When we put things to language, we realize how we are, the way that we're thinking is often not helpful once we say it and we hear it or we write it and we see it.
0: I flash back to some of my sessions where people are like, did I just say that out loud? Or, yes. Well, I mean, of course that's ridiculous, but
1: no you but can see it on fear. their mm-hmm. face Yes, mm-hmm. as soon as it comes out of their mouth. A lot of times I don't even have to say anything. I'm sure it's the same oh, with yeah, you. Mm-hmm. They correct themselves. Mm-hmm. As soon as they hear it, they're like, oh my God. Or they'll say, this is what I'm feeling or thinking, but
0: I don't want to tell you. Like, oh, this is the yeah. truth, but I don't want to say it out loud.
1: Yeah, I Because always... that somehow makes it true or, you know, I don't know. I think there is some ownership to it when yeah. you say it out loud. Mm-hmm. So if anyone is, and actually I strongly recommend it. There's this great documentary series on Netflix called Explained. Okay. They're all really short like 20 to 30 minute, sometimes even shorter. Little docu series that they did on all different kinds of things. Well, this year recently just a couple months ago, they released a five-part series called The Mind Explained. I strongly suggest that you go and watch the entire series, but there is specifically one on anxiety and it talks about the brain and anxiety just in a really clear, succinct way. Mm-hmm. It also ta- they have one on dreams, they have one on something else, a whole bunch of other different ones. Like I said, there's like four or five of them. The mind explained, go check it out. The other thing that we wanted to really clarify for people in terms of anxiety is, so it's a normal emotion, Mm -hmm. but then there also gets a point where it is out of control and it becomes all consuming in your life. And that's when we start talking about it becoming diagnosable. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to talk about what the difference is between hey, I just have anxiety or I have anxiety and it's a little bit out of control versus I'm at a place where I now maybe can get a diagnosable disorder. Whether it's anxiety or depression, we'll get to
0: depression later. For me, the biggest thing that I'm listening for and talking to people with is how long has this been going on? Because even if it feels like days or weeks, it might still not be a diagnosable condition because there are a lot of factors at play. And I feel like giving... I don't know. It can go either way. Like sometimes people like to have a label to put on things so that uh, right. there is a plan of action of how you're going to rectify it. But a lot of times as Pe- a therapist, I really see the labeling as more of an insurance thing. Um, it, but that, that's it honestly does not is. really dictate how I treat a client, whatever your diagnosis is. So if it's trauma and PTSD, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, we're going to use the same ways of deducing what's going to help you the best and yeah. it might not be just this one thing because it's you know well, connected to anxiety treatment. right mm-hmm. well and
1: truth be told the only reason I think I can speak for myself and Christy but we're required to give diagnoses mm-hmm. in order to get reimbursement by uh, insurance companies which really stinks because I don't like giving them. A lot of times it is more than one issue. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of that. Again, we're multifaceted creatures. We're very complex. So it's not just, oh, it's just because you have this, this diagnosis.
0: Well, and it's what's going wrong with you versus what's going right with you. And so that really forces people to get into this, you know, um, what's wrong with this picture rather than what strengths am I demonstrating Right. right now? And how can I build on those strengths? And speaking of building on strengths, um, and and I know Gretchen, you share this view, so you can elaborate yes. if you will. But how much of our communities play a role in yes. you know how we're functioning as a whole? Like, are you really isolated at work, or do you have people that you can you know um, problem solve with or or share your experiences with? I know one of the most rewarding parts of my job right now is I've had oh gosh is it five year, four or five years, have had an ongoing group. Um, and I feel that group therapy is just so beneficial because it's like, we can all sit around and everybody can talk about, you know, how they're dealing with their anxiety. Not like, let's just sit around and like, talk about how terrible everything is. It's, well, this is working for me. Or mm. I remember when you were dealing with this like two years ago and just like the cohesion of the community that that creates. Is well, just... an
1: opportunity to speak that frankly and yeah. openly. Yeah. I mean, this is the reason why we started this podcast is to be able to start those kinds of conversations and be able to create that within the friend groups that you have mm-hmm. or within the that families that you have. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. That we're all struggling with this stuff. Some days are better than others. And if I'm having a good day and you're struggling, then I can be there and I can support you. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really great. One about the group therapy that you have and the group that you have, but also about what you can create in your own life. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Mm -hmm.
0: I was thinking too about uh, recently last week, we just in Pittsburgh, it was the one year anniversary
1: it's, I know it is an anniversary, it feels weird it to call it, feels, it
0: that. Of the, the synagogue shooting. To watch the community that came together last week in order to support each other, people that were there, people that were not there, people that you know knew somebody or didn't know somebody, but just to say like collectively, this is this is something that we are going to work on together. Because it is like when people feel that the world is against them, even they have a much more likely chance of having creating anxiety or having depression, it's yeah. when you know that there are people that you can depend on. And as an adult, I feel like it's even more important for us to give that message of safety and security to kids and to teach them. I know Gretchen, you do, you work with your son a lot with mm-hmm. this of how are you managing these emotions? What supports do you have? Like teaching them at a very young age that this is something that you can
1: control. This isn't something that's happening to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we're looking at what the diagnosis is today for all intensive purposes, we're just going to talk about generalized anxiety disorder. It is the most diagnosed um, anxiety disorder and anxiety in general is one of the top diagnoses of all diagnoses that are given anxiety and depression are the top two. All the other ones are much, much smaller, but somewhere I think there was a study done recently uh, within the last like two or three years that I think it was about 30% of the population has been already at one point diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, some Mm -hmm. type of anxiety disorder. So it is out there, but that doesn't mean that everybody has it like what Christy was saying about when she works with people that have anxiety, she really wants to know about how long this has been happening because ultimately that is the biggest thing that the very first criteria is that you're, ex- you're experiencing anxiety and excessive worry, right? Excessive anxiety and worry that are occurring more days than not for at least six months. And about a number of events or activities. You are more days than not, probably like at least five or more days in a week, every day, having bouts of anxiety about everything. Mm -hmm. School, work, home, friends, family, all of this. What does this person think? What should I eat? What should I not eat? Working out, doing this, doing that. And it is for at least six months. So before you can even get a diagnosis, you have to have it for this long period of time.
0: So the next criteria that we're looking for is that uh, the person finds it difficult to control the worry um, so that everything, I think that this has probably come up (laughs) earlier, is outside of you and, you know, the world is happening to me. It's not, it's like I don't
1: have any control over And I can't control how I think about it and the Mm -hmm. worry that I feel about it. The next part I think is one of the most important ones, which is all of the symptoms that you are going to experience. So this is like what kind of Christy was talking about in terms of physical symptoms that we have that manifest in our body because of the way that we think and feel. So the anxiety and worry are associated. You have to have three or more of these symptoms and they have to be present for more days than not in the past six months. So again, you might be like, "Oh my gosh, I have these feelings. I was feeling, I was <laughs> feeling irritable yesterday. Oh my God. I was I having- just gonna say everybody has all six of these. So don't even like. It just the point is is that again you have to have all of these things all together and that th- for six months or more and right. that you're excessively worrying right. about these things. And the mm-hmm. point of us communicating this is to really illustrate that every one of you is going to have anxiety and that is normal. Like we said, it is situationally like if you're going through a grief process, I'm thinking about like
0: a client that I'm working with now and had a panic attack recently. And a lot of people that are in the ambulance going to the ER thinking they're having a heart attack when they find out, Oh my gosh, it's panic. It's like, well, but I, I wasn't worried about anything right now no these emotions are stored in your right. body and, and they do you know leak out in different ways and this person in particular had been in the er we were talking and she recently went through a breakup and this was a breakup that she initiated it was not a very good really it was toxic for her she needed to end it it ended something that she said that like really raised my ear was well i can't be upset about that and i'm mm-hmm. so wait Go back to that. Well, I initiated that. It was bad for me anyway. That's denying your feelings, and the more and believe me, I know this. When I went through, and especially you know when I had a lot of anxiety after my divorce, it was like this is going to be fine. I don't care. You know, you can't lie to yourself. So even if you know you're saying these things or trying to put on um, a brave face or you know throwing yourself into work because that's easy to do, these feelings don't go away, and they're going to make you have anger anger outbursts, they're going to come out you know, um, in your muscles. I saw muscle tension yeah, yeah, as one yeah. of those. So yes, think about situationally what's going on in your life and if maybe you're denying you know, right. that reality for
1: yourself. Right, and so we're all going to have these symptoms. And I'm just going to go through feelings. the symptoms, <laughs> right, and we're going to talk about them. So the first one is restlessness, feeling keyed up or on edge. Be- the second is being easily fatigued or tired. The third is difficulty concentrating or your mind going blank. The fourth is irritability. Fifth is muscle tension. And then the sixth is sleep disturbance, either difficulty falling or staying asleep or feeling restless or having unsatisfied sleep. Mm -hmm. So as Christy said, every single one of us has experienced all of these, maybe a couple of them together. The difference between having a diagnosable disorder of anxiety is that you are having these, again, more days than not. So I Mm -hmm. would say at least five days a week, would you say? Yeah. Five out of seven days a week, you are experiencing three or more of these symptoms. Symptoms for at least six months. Okay. That's when we're like, this is concerning. Mm -hmm. This is when we really want to take a time to do something about it.
0: What's happening is this is toxic to your body and this is how it's coming out. So if you think about, I always love to look at our emotional Mm -hmm. wellness Mm -hmm. or illness, the same as our physical illness or wellness, you know, look at, Again, how are you taking care of yourself? What Are you you giving yourself time to rest too? People are just like, I don't have the time. You know what I mean? And so then it's at the end of the night and they're just trying to calm down their brain by being on, I don't know, social
1: media. Or watch TV or read a book. Mm -hmm. Really what you're doing is just more distraction Mm because you're just engaging your brain in different ways. Exactly. The rest of the symptoms are really just more like that they cause significant impairment, right? Mm Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So the next... The next one is anxiety, worry, or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, and other
1: important areas of functioning. That's some fancy verbiage. Why don't you talk to us about what that means? Um, It's,
0: (laughs) I hate my job. I don't want to be around my friends. And Um, I can't. Right. I can't. So it's causing all of these... Okay, so you think cognitively. You have thoughts, you have feelings, you have behaviors. These are the behaviors. Like, how are you acting in your life, yeah. and how is your anxiety impacting that?
1: Right. So you are using all your sick days. You're calling mm-hmm. off from work. You are not going out with your friends, even though you really want to go out with them. Yeah. You're saying that you want to go, and then last minute you're not. You're staying home because you're too anxious. You are um, cutting people off. You mm-hmm. are right. So all of these different things, Again, and not
0: doing it in a way like, oh, I'm not going out because I need to preserve my energy. Or, like That's different. Because well, right, the mm-hmm. difference is, is,
1: again, for six months, you've yes. been doing this. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, you've been experiencing anxiety for six months. You've been having the physical symptoms for six months. You've been avoiding and doing all this stuff for six months. All of these things are for this very long and pervasive amount of time. And something that
0: I look for and talk to people with about during their initial intake sessions, and then we revisit these things throughout treatment is what
1: is the frequency and what is the duration? Yes. Is it improving? Is it improving even just int- a little bit? I also add the intensity. Oh. So good. how intense mm-hmm. is it? Because, yes, yeah, so, yeah, is, is it happening less often, the frequency? Is the length of time that you're experiencing anxiety, the duration, is that shortening? Mm-hmm. And also, how intense are these feelings of anxiety that you're having? You might still be having them, but you may be able to denote this is not as bad as it used to be. And those are the things that we look for as clinicians to help you see you are actually making progress or, hey, it looks like things are kind of slipping back in. It sounds like stuff is going on in your life Mm -hmm. because they're more intense, they're more frequent, they are lasting Mm -hmm. longer, stuff like that. Yeah. And
0: there are just, think about how much stress is out there in our lives, you know, and it's so toxic, and it's so chronic, and it's not going anywhere. So we need to learn to manage this better. You know, there's financial stress, there's relationship stress, there's work stress, there's school stress, there's stress, stress, stress.
1: Well, and like you said, it leads to us repressing that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. It's just so much. And we do now live in a society that is so go, go, go. We've Mm -hmm. talked about that before in previous podcasts, that like you said, I don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, when we say I don't have the time, what you're saying is it's not a priority. And I think it's really important to realize that, that if you're basically telling yourself that self, you're not a priority, mm-hmm. then you're not going to stop experiencing this and it's going to either maintain or just add on. Because things are not going to get less no. stressful.
0: No. And in the future, we're going to do a podcast. I'm calling it out right now yeah. on boundaries.
1: Because we already did one. We'll we have did. to do an updated one. <laughs> yes, we did a whole three-part session. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I'm thinking I was, my brain was going in a different way. of <laughs> Different um, boundaries. Different kind of boundaries of being able to take the time to care for yourself and not feel guilty about that. Yeah. So... I'm really proud of quite a few people that I'm working with now that here we are at the beginning of November they are already being proactive on how they're going to handle their holidays oh, so yeah. that things do not get out of control because you know when you can recognize I'm saying yes to too many things yep. um that can be that can be <laughs> overwhelming in a sense that you're creating more anxiety for yourself
1: yeah Yeah. well and i actually have people as well who are with the winter season coming up not just necessarily the holidays but with seasonal affective disorder and knowing that their depression or their anxiety gets a lot worse because it's colder it is darker all of those things and how they affect them that we're also talking now about okay what is our plan for january Mm -hmm. and february and march when we are in those winter months and it is really difficult for you if you have a plan you have something to guide you. Yes. yes. So, the best way to address any sort of emotional issues and really any issues in general is prevention, not mm-hmm. intervention. Right. So, I'm already anxious and in the middle of a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Trying to intervene at that time is so difficult. And Mm -hmm. that's why the majority of people will say, I know to me, well, I was like super anxious and had a panic attack and I tried to breathe and it didn't work. So I don't know why you're making me do this. And I say, you're right. It's not going to work then. It's too late. Mm -hmm. You can't intervene at that point because you're already too keyed up. Your body is involved. Your mind is involved. And at that point, we just have to ride the wave and wait till it's over. Let's real quick
0: uh, talk about getting on your uh, surfboard during that wave mm. because what you need to do is look at what's happening physically so that's what you're trying to get under control in the moment of a panic attack so like Gretchen said like these breathing exercises they're not going to come to your mind while this is happening everything's purely physical yeah so if you are around a person that's having a panic attack I know people who have been like at work and it's happening yeah. and like their coworkers, they they think like everybody thinks I'm crazy or they don't, the coworkers don't know what to do. What you can do is help the person to, or yourself to really ground yourself in this moment to talk about what is in your immediate environment, not, you know, trying to think abstractly. It's like, Oh, Gretchen, what time does that clock say over there? What, what's your phone number? Or, you know, just getting out of that emotional part of your brain Mm -hmm. and more into because Doing deep breathing can also, like, enhance a panic attack. So you want to just, in that moment, be breathing normally. So that's a thing, too. Don't be like, oh, oh, my gosh, now I'm going to practice these breathing things. No, breathe normally. Focus on what's around you. Label it. What do I hear? What do I see? What do I smell?
1: Well, and give it a number. It helps if you talk about what are five things that you see that are this color, Mm -hmm. or what are five things that you could close your eyes and what are five things that you can hear right now. And then once they start to make, once you hear their breathing start to regulate, maybe you then start to breathe with them and Mm -hmm. encourage the deep breathing. Because it is true. I mean, if you're hyperventilating Mm -hmm. because you're overwhelmed and you're stressed and you're anxious, having someone tell you to take deep breaths is not going to help. What Mm -hmm. can help is to tell the person to focus on their breathing, to try to breathe in through their nose and out through their mouth, even if it's fast, Mm -hmm. even if they're just going (sighs) (sighs) like really fast, it gives them a different way. Instead of just mouth breathing and hyperventilating, it will purposefully slow your breathing down when you aren't breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Mm -hmm. Have them focus on what the air feels like. Focus on how it feels when the air goes in through your nose, how it feels when it goes out through your mouth, on your tongue, on your Mm -hmm. lips. Like give them something else to focus on instead of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Our anxiety is like a stubborn and tantruming two-year-old mm-hmm. that you are trying to put in a timeout chair. And if you keep giving them attention, they're going to continue tantruming. They're going to get out of the chair, right? What we need to do is put them in the chair, turn your back and walk away. Focus on something else. Eventually the anxious mind that it, and the, t- the two-year-old in your head that is tantruming <laughs> will calm down and return back to your quote unquote normal or your like homeostasis, right? And that's what we want. Another thing to note outside of this panic attack is
0: that we're going to have peaks and passes is what I call them in our emotional states. So if you're thinking back to how you felt at this moment three weeks ago... You're not going to. So any of our <laughs> and all of our emotional states it's not gonna happen. are going to pass. Learning to focus again on the things that are within your control right happening right here in front of you is going to give you a much better uh, chance at, you know, weathering those
1: things when they are more intense. Like yeah. you were saying, the intensity yeah. of those emotions. Well, I think it connects back to what you were saying about the repressed emotions mm-hmm. and how important then it is that when we're having a bad day, we talk to somebody about it or we talk to ourselves about it or we put something down in a journal or you know, voice to text into your phone memo, sit in the car and just be like, what the hell was that? Like yeah. we need to process this stuff because it does get in the way of us having good sleep at night, mm-hmm. right? It gets in the way of us being able to have productive work lives and productive home lives and social lives and repressing your emotions just makes them build up like a shaken up Coke bottle. Right. It's basically, you know right. what I mean? Like,
0: Well, and we've learned as a society and as individuals to... Deny anything that's uncomfortable and not a good emotion, but again, knowing that all emotions are valid and important. Yes. like You need to be bored. You need to be annoyed <laughs> at certain things. And again, this is useful information for you to have with the people that you're interacting with, with the situations that you're putting yourself in. Yeah. So this constant need to like distract ourselves from what's happening, whether it's at a red light or in line at the grocery store, Anywhere. I have found a lot of fascination in Watching how people distract themselves. So again, if that's useful information to you, if you're doing that, like maybe it's time to take stock of what am I saying it means about me if I'm feeling shame or if I'm feeling, you know, frustrated or like and being really kind to yourself. I think that we lose that piece of everything when I'm getting so hard on myself that I I'm going through all this and I can't do anything right. And just listen to the language that you're using with yourself. Yeah, and how Make hard sure we are on ourselves. There um, is one more, and I
1: oh for the diagnostic criteria. Yeah, oh, it, it was, was
0: that it's not being caused by substance use disorder or a medical condition. So,
1: like you it talked is about before, know, you were in a car accident. Yes. You were right. Like there is a clear reason why you are experiencing this anxiety. You right. are. We'll drawing go- <laughs> off of some sort of, you know, drug. Going medical is very important. So it, it does it's
0: a little disheartening that when I send people to a a primary care doctor, they come back like, well, they wanted to put me on this medication. It's like, no, let's do some testing. (laughs) Let's see. What are your levels? Do you have a thyroid condition? Is there some sort of medical reason that this is happening? If it's again, been going on for
1: six months or more? Absolutely. Well, and I always tell people too, if they come and they're like, well, do I have this or do I need to be on medicine for it? I say the same thing too, which is go to your doctor because it's easier to rule out because Mm -hmm. we can test for like Christy said, Are you having some thyroid issues? Are you having some other issue? Are you diabetic? Are you Mm -hmm. having, like, is there just something that isn't functioning the way it should in terms of just our physical bodies? And if there is, okay, great. If there isn't, okay, now let's look at how this might be something that is related to being emotional. The interesting thing too, that you were talking about, about like, not denying emotions in general because, and we've talked about this before, it's like, oh, anxiety, I hate it. Or, oh, this emotion, I hate it. Like, I don't want to feel it. I want to avoid mm-hmm. it. When we start to try to avoid these things, not only do they get bigger, but also we end up confusing or confusing them with other emotions or we limit them. We don't experience those emotions at all. And I was telling Christy this before. She'd mentioned my kids, and I try to work with them on trying to be emotionally mature and Mm -hmm. intelligent. And my oldest son has some issues with anxiety. And yesterday, he was going to do something with his dad, and he was really excited to do it. And he started to have a lot of anxiety because... Actually, it wasn't anxiety. He kept labeling it as anxiety, but it was because he was excited. He said to me, He's like, I don't I don't feel good, I'm really nervous. And all of a sudden he started to think, because I'm having anxiety, what are all the bad things that are going to happen, or what are all the bad things that could happen? And so I stopped him and I just said, wait a second, this is something that you want to do, right? He said, Yeah. And I said, You were really looking forward to this. And he said, Yeah said so do you think that you're excited and not anxious and he was like yeah i'm excited i'm like okay so you know how we've talked about before that anxiety and excitement are basically the same emotion just on two opposite ends and if we think about that that when we're excited we often feel the exact same physical things responses as we do when we're anxious mm-hmm. realizing the difference that you might be getting excited about something and feeling those symptoms. And if you are very focused or hyper-focused on your anxiety, that we might, again, miss out on things. We might completely shut out our ability to be excited about things. I don't want to get excited because it triggers my anxiety Mm -hmm. or I confuse them. And Mm -hmm. so not repressing those emotions, but being able to sort them out, understand them so that we can have that full range of emotion, which is important. Well, because they're not
0: going to last. So when you're feeling these moments of joy and like, Happiness and contentment, like relish save, in them, savor those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because that's fleeting. Like so, impermanence. That's the yes. word of the day. So nothing
1: lasts forever. So no feeling is final.
0: Ex, exactly. So I have loved talking about this. This is great. And we're going to do, do some, some more. Mm-hmm.
1: We're going to do some more ones too, um, because it is a very big prevalent, topic. And absolutely, it's, it's big topic. It's super prevalent. All of the above.
0: Thank you for listening to Conversations to Connect with Christy and Gretchen. If you like our show, want more information, and want to connect with us, go to our website at www.conversations2connect.com
1: and follow us on Instagram. We hope this episode has given you some useful tips to create meaningful conversations in your life. If you feel like you would benefit from talking with a therapist, one resource is www.psychologytoday.com, or you can contact your insurance company. See you next time.